market square So many mothers sighing Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod. This is episode number 135, Friday, May 19th, 2023. And this week marks five years since the federal PASPA law was overturned, allowing individual states here in the good old U.S. of A. to decide whether or not they want to legalize sports betting. Five whole years. At this time, back in 2018, you could only place wagers in one regulated U.S. market in Nevada, and now in May 2023, we've had 37 states legalize, plus D.C. and Puerto Rico, and more are on the way. What a ride the past five years have been. So in this episode of the Doggy Juice Pod, I'm going to take a look back at the last five years and discuss what's gone right, what's gone wrong, which states are getting it right, which states are messing it up. And then I'll look ahead at what I think is to come as we enter a new stage in the next five years of the legal sports betting industry here in America. And if you're interested in hearing more, even more content on where we've been and where we're going as an industry, I had the pleasure of going on two different shows over the past week to discuss the past five-year anniversary, the Props and Hops podcast with Matt Landis and the WagerWire Twitter spaces. So you can find both of those by following Props and Hops and Matt at Props and Hops Pod or at MLandis18 on Twitter. And you could follow WagerWire on Twitter at WagerWire as well. All right, let's get going. Go, DJ! Go, DJ! A lot of what I'm about to cover here is really just free-flowing thoughts, so I may jump around a little bit um, here and there, but I think it's important to start out by saying how legal online sports betting here, and even not even online, brick and mortar as well, has been very intertwined with the COVID-19 pandemic. It really sped things up. Um, I think a process that maybe would have taken a few more years um, has really happened a lot faster just because of the pandemic and really forcing governments and regulators to adapt with the times and adapt with the situation. So you saw that in spades here in Illinois, my my home state, where there was actually um, the in-person registration requirement, which is a pretty asinine rule uh, to begin with, um, but designed really to to combat the early start that DraftKings and FanDuel had, able to gobble up a bunch of customers uh, with their fantasy product that was very much in the gray area um, in several states, including Illinois. you saw that that requirement to register in person at, at sports books go away during the pandemic because you really you couldn't go into casinos. So in order to bring in state revenue and 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 uh, move the you know, the legalization regulation along, um, certain things had to be changed, tweaked around by by at least the governor here in in, uh, in Illinois, but in other states as well, where you saw. Uh, processes on the technology side kind of speed up and and online really take hold because we were all on our couches for for a long time, uh, unable to really go anywhere. So that's important as a backdrop, um, but really at a macro level too, the the reaction to COVID, of course, I think like 20% of the U.S. dollars in circulation were printed in 2020. It was a a massive stimulus and a lot of extra money going around at that point. And companies and and individuals, entities wanted to get involved in this. They saw, you know, a lot of potential, of course, um, as we all do in, in this, in gaming, but also in online regulated gaming here in the U.S., 
So it led to a lot of stakeholders, and interestingly enough, some stakeholders that were opposed to online sports or or legal sports betting here in the U.S. just five years ago, parties that were actually um, on the opposite side of the PASPA case, namely the the major professional sports leagues here in the U.S. So it's funny how things change, but at the end of the day, everyone wanted to get involved, and you saw a massive, massive land grab uh, here, and you saw states legalized probably a little bit quick, more quickly than uh, than they would have otherwise without the pandemic. We have 33 states now, as I record this, plus D.C., um, that are offering you know, lives. You can, you can get down in those states. There's four states where um, it is sports betting has been legalized, but not operational yet. Maine, Nebraska, Kentucky, and Florida. And Florida is really nuanced. The I guess it's it's important to mention right now that the big three, Florida, Texas, and California, you can't uh, bet legally in those states yet. Those have not come come around yet, and it's indicative of really the all the competing forces at play in those states. Unfortunately, um, it's not looking like those are going to come around anytime soon. Florida is nuanced. I know I've covered this previous doggy juice pods, but essentially there's a state tribal compact that was signed uh, by Governor DeSantis with the Seminole Tribe. And the Seminole Tribe then launched the, their sports betting product in late 2021 for about four or five weeks under the Hard Rock brand. But then that state gaming compact was ruled unconstitutional by a federal judge, and now it's back in the federal courts, and Hard Rock pulled um, all, all betting opportunities in Florida, so you're no longer able to legally bet there. Um, and that's actually, that decision, that it's been, it went to oral argument, actually, that whole issue with the state gaming compact in Florida, and a judge is supposed to rule on that uh, this year. So you, it could usher in a situation where Florida can, um, can be offering bets to, to, you know, taxpayers and people in the state sooner rather than later, but that's still going to play out in the courts and it's a bit murky there, but it's looking better in Florida than it is in Texas and California. Unfortunately, uh, Texas, they, uh, the, the house did pass a sports betting bill, but it's, it was dead on arrival at the Senate, which could actually impact their ability to, to legalize soon. The problem with Texas is their legislative session meets so infrequently and they won't even be able to take it up until 2025 now. So we're looking at best case scenario in Texas being uh, 2025, although I, I really do think they're going to get it done. California, that's unfortunately uh, a really tough one, especially given the, the, sheer, the sheer size of that state. But you saw that ballot um, referendum last year where there was two propositions. One of them essentially, uh, and they, they put it to the voters of California, but then you get into how you word that, you know, you word the language in those those boat those votes, and it's it really gets difficult. And there was two different propositions. One of them that favored the you know the status quo, the the, the same brands you see in other states, the DraftKings, FanDuel's of the world, and then the other one um, was more favorable to the the tribes. At the end of the day, the tribes in California and in Florida as well, and, and state tribal compacts and some of the other states that haven't legalized. That's the reason why. Um, that's the big. Uh, barrier for those states getting any legalization anytime soon. The tribes hold a lot of power in those states. So it's it's unfortunate, but California, I think they actually went further back than forwards last year. And if anything, it was very, very much an eye opener to see how much money and how deep the pockets were for the, the tribes uh, fighting against the proposition that favored your typical online regulated sports betting operators. So it's going to be a long trudge in California. And, and I would definitely, if you set the over under two and a half years, unfortunately, I'd take the over uh, with a limit bet on and when you're going to be able to legally bet in, in the state of California. But there are several states with um, with ballot initiatives right now that you could see you could see them legalizing and joining the party somewhat soon over the next couple of years, uh, namely Missouri, Minnesota, uh, which also has a, a – the tribes hold a lot of power in that state, uh, Georgia, Oklahoma, 
and South Carolina. And then there's some states, unfortunately, that uh, they're going to be bringing up the rear on this and are showing no signs of any type of legalization anytime soon. Um, Utah being the, the banner one, it's just it's really difficult to see Utah ever doing it. But also Idaho, Alaska, Alabama, and now, unfortunately, California. But states this year, one of the stories of the industry this year has been the launch uh, of legal sports betting in Ohio and Massachusetts. And I'll get into this in a little bit, but the regulators in those states have done a great job of bringing to the forefront some issues that have been occurring in the industry for the first five years, but really have gone unchecked. And um, it's really bringing a lot of conversations to the forefront, uh, the way those regulators are are handling things that that are important to discuss, especially at at this juncture uh, five years in. So... As I mentioned, the first five years of you know, post-PASPA have, have been marked by cons- customer acquisition, the massive land grab, and and really just crazy. I mean, you saw sportsbook marketing, um, just, I mean, go completely unchecked too. I'll dive into that in a little bit when I get more into the you know what's been good and what's been bad in the industry. But you really saw that massive land grab early on. And now we're entering that new phase, but I, I think it's even a bit more nuanced. And I've said this in previous podcasts recently and in other shows, but I actually really think that we're entering more stage three of the industry right now. And really, stage one was that initial land grab, and then you really saw you know the the, the SPAC market dry up uh, at the beginning of 2021, around, around two years ago. Um, mid 2021, and you saw a few you know entities out there and, and stakeholders kind of pump the brakes a little bit, especially in terms of investment. You saw a lot of investments start to dry up in 2021, and, and then M and A's started to take hold, and you saw some of the you know, some of the little minnows, smaller companies in the space, really uh, you know get gobbled up or cease their operations. You know we saw Fubo Sportsbook drop out of the game, um, and there's there's more on the way too. And now you just saw the points bet. Uh, sale to to fanatics that's going to be uh, you know, coming down this summer, so it's it, it's it's been very interesting. But I actually think we're entering stage three because stage two, you know, was kind of the the I don't want to say the reaction, but just the natural step after that initial crazy stage one. Uh, but call it whatever you will, we are definitely entering a new stage here in the industry, and I think that we're going to really have a situation where some of these tech brands and and niche brands are really going to shine, and I'm going to. Uh, dive into that in a little bit as well. I can feel it all the way down in my plums, getting all swollen. So I think another important thing um, that I want to mention is just legalizing sports betting doesn't mean you could just go in and start betting. And there's a lot of misinformation on this. For for starters, legalizing sports betting just doesn't mean you could bet on you know any site. It doesn't give you the right to, you know, if uh, Iowa passes sports betting, which it did, you can't just go on Bavada offshore and make bets. You have to bet with legal regulated sports book and there's uh, been a lot of opportunists in the space especially some of the offshore sites kind of jumped at the chance to take advantage of that murkiness and and um and gray area and and take hold but it's important to remember that but it's also important to remember when states legalize sports betting it doesn't mean you just start betting in that state it, it takes many months and even years in some instances uh, for a regulator to maybe even be appointed. Some states don't even have a regulator to regulate sports betting or have changed regulators, but also they, they have to write the rules and regulations and then approve um, the, the actual operators before they can start taking bets. And th- there's a lot of misinformation here, but at a high level in most states, with a few exceptions, um, licenses to offer sports betting are offered to land-based entities. So, like, if you have a casino entity, a land-based casino entity um, would gets the right to a license, and then they partner with 
um, with an operator, uh, you know, like a, a DraftKings or a FanDuel or a PlayUp, and and then they offer sports betting through that brand. Um, and so it's it's a bit it's a bit nuanced the whole um, the, the whole way that works. But you have to get market access. That that's there's a cost to that for that because in most states there's a finite amount of licenses to offer, and that creates a whole market on its own. And you saw some companies you know, early on spending millions and millions of dollars just for the right to get market access. That's before any licensing fees or any costs associated with setting up our operations or getting regulatory approval. So um, there's a lot that goes into it that a lot of people don't even know about. But when you're a sports book, so much a legal regulated sports book here in the U.S., so much goes into that um, that whole process of getting regulatory approval. You have to have your, your, your KYC, know your customer. Um, everything has to be in place there, your geolocation, your um, – I mean, of course, your rules and regulations, but from a tech side and really a tech compliance side, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. So um, there's a lot of requirements, and I always feel bad when some, when there's tech issues at at some books. I don't feel too bad because a lot of you know operators skirt around you know try and cut costs by uh, where they could they could really put uh, put some resources on the especially on the tech compliance side. But there's a lot of misunderstanding on this too. And I, I think one thing I've discussed on this pod and, and really something I've seen prevalent in my first, you know, the first five years, but uh, my first few years working in the industry too, is the notion of ego in the sports betting industry. You see it in every industry, uh, people's egos get in the way, but I think even more so in gaming, because after all, you know, we're talking about sports betting here, but a lot of people coming in and not just Americans, but you, know, you saw Europeans and Australians come in wanting to do things their way. Um, a lot of people coming in from other industries here in the U.S. thinking that they understand sports betting and how it all works and, and wanting to do things their way, but uh, it all really goes to the ego. But in reality, what we should have been doing, and you know, some states did get this right, fortunately, but um, we should have been looking at others with industry experience. And Nevada housed so much of that experience. Now, the Nevada law itself and, and the way the regulatory structure set up there is, is bogus. I mean, you have to still, um, when you go to Vegas on a trip, you still have to register in person at any sports book in order to um, to use their app in the state of Nevada. Um it sucks, and they've seen that in some other states, states that have done away with it. It certainly uh, is the biggest reason why, the, the reason why you don't see DraftKings, FanDuel um, offering uh, their apps to their product to people in the state of Nevada yet, and why a lot of people are going over to Arizona to place bets. But Nevada did have the operational experience. I mean, we're talking about odds makers and people on, on the odds on the op side that have been working in the industry for decades. They've seen it all. They've experienced the stuff. And unfortunately, a lot of states didn't take that readily available experience or, or advice. Um, and it was unfortunate to see. But there are states that have been doing it right. So I, I want to give some credit where credit's due, um, although there are nuances. Some of these states, like New Jersey is going to be the first one I was going to mention because uh, um, obviously you can get down at uh, several different, we have a lot of outs there, a lot of different options for betting in New Jersey, but unfortunately you can't bet on New Jersey college teams. That's uh, one of the big issues with the, um, with the situation over there. And that just goes down to the law, the lawmakers putting it in, uh, Colorado, I consider to be the best, most favorable for operators and for, for betters. Uh, Michigan's a great one. Uh, that's, that, that did really well. Ohio and, and Iowa with its low licensing uh, fees and favorable requirements for operators. Um, Indiana to an extent's done a great job at, at things too, uh, and offering unique markets. I know they're one of the first to offer betting on the Academy Awards. Um, but you've also seen a renewed focus on responsible gaming and, and problem gambling uh, coming out of really namely Ohio and Massachusetts this year. The regulators have uh, completely shifted the focus and, and brought you know 
responsible marketing practices to the forefront, which has been a huge issue because consumer protections in the industry has gone largely unchecked. And that's a lot of what's wrong with the industry right now. So states that are getting it wrong, basically anywhere with a monopoly, like Montana, uh, D.C., New Hampshire. Uh, New Hampshire, you can only bet on DraftKings, Oregon, same thing. Um, pretty much anywhere there's a monopoly, it creates a situation where the books can then offer whatever odds they want to, to betters. If you've ever been in Montana, check out uh, what the odds are that are being presented to you. It's, it's laughable. And I've said this, the states that are getting it right, as opposed to the ones getting it wrong, they're, they're, they're making the burden on operators um, a lot less, I guess you could say, and a lot fewer hurdles to jump over um, in terms of, of licensing fees and, and other um, you know, hoops that you have to jump through. Um, and, and taxes too, taxes as well, because it's a lot smaller of a margin business than a lot of people understand. But the states that are getting it right are the ones that are offering, you know, create a, more competition, which breeds innovation. And when you have states that are, you know, have 20, 25, even 30 sports books um, that are offered to, to the customers, they can price shop. So it, it creates a situation where the books have to have to offer better pricing in order to compete with their competitors. When there's only one game in town, that's not the case. And it takes away from innovation. And and even more importantly, it leads the betting action back to the gray market, back to the black market, your corner bookies. And there's going to be no tax revenue on that. That's the tax revenue the state's not going to be able to enjoy. And perhaps even more importantly, the integrity of the games are compromised when you drive the betting action um, offshore to the you know the black market um, because you're not able to monitor regular line moves and and um, and track any nefarious activity so it's really bad for the very reasons that they they think it's good so a lot of it's backwards and some states are getting it right some are some are not but that's just the name of the game right now and and it all goes back to the regulators and lawmakers a lot of them just not understanding how sports betting actually works it's not a high margin business not as much as they make it out to be and and you saw an example in, in Ontario because Canada's you know it's sports betting is legal in Ontario that's the only province right now in Canada but you saw uh, an operator called Coolbet um, actually drop out of Ontario just because there's too many regulations they said screw it and they dropped out and they continue to actually offer wagers to customers in the gray market in Canada's other provinces, just not Ontario anymore. So you don't want a situation like that here in the U.S. where operators are dropping out and um, just because of the regulatory requirements. And you've, you've seen that to an extent, which is unfortunate. So um, at the same time, there needs to be more regulation in the industry, especially, and I touched on the, you know, the marketing practices that some of these books are taking. It's If they don't self-regulate and check themselves, then you're going to see the federal government maybe come in and try and do it for them. And you saw just that, just a you know, knee-jerk, I'm going to say knee-jerk, just a pendulum swing reaction. Um, but a, a lawmaker, a federal lawmaker proposed a bill to ban, to outright ban all sports betting advertising, just like tobacco advertising is banned. Um, and that would be no good for the entire industry because you want to keep, you know, your responsible gaming messages out there and, and you want to educate people on the fact that, you know, what's available to them and, and, uh, draw that line between the offshore sports books and, and the ones that are you know, here onshore stateside. And we definitely don't want to go down the same path as a country like Belgium. You know, the, the Belgium government just decided to ban gambling advertising across multiple platforms starting on July 1st this year. So um, that's a really key industry, um, I guess, uh, crossroads we're at right now. But fortunately, it's a conversation that, that needs to, to happen. And as companies start to move their, you know, their attention towards retention instead of customer acquisition, that's going to be the biggest issue. And it's been really unfortunate to hear um, uh, 
Jason Robbins, for example, the CEO of DraftKings, come out the other day and say, you know, hey, we're we're trying to paint a good investor picture here. We're starting to hold more bets. Um, we're not increasing the odds on our parlays, or not sorry, not decreasing the odds to our betters, but we're trying to push parlays more to them. And I think he's really missing the boat there on the, from a retention standpoint because if you keep pushing parlays um, in order to increase your margins and your hold percentage to paint a pretty picture for your stakeholders, you're doing so at the expense of the longevity of your customers. So I think that they're missing the boat there, DraftKings, and and it's going to be interesting to see where things go because the other thing I should mention is iGaming is very much intertwined with sports betting and you know, iGaming meaning online casino that's only offered in six states right now. Um, you know, New Jersey, Michigan included, most of them all you know, East East Coast based. Um, but that's really the end goal for a lot of these companies, especially DraftKings and a FanDuel. They want to be able to cross sell you over to a higher margin um, online casino product from their lower margin sports betting product. So that is the end goal for a lot of these companies, and that's something to pay attention to uh, moving forward because. That's going to be that's going to tell the story. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if five years from now, if, if DraftKings and FanDuel aren't even in the sports betting game because they went all in on on iGaming, and I tend to believe that they're they're, they're leaving a lot to be desired on the you know the operational side from the sports betting side. Although there have been some positive signs on the FanDuel side, at least be able to take bets. Um, that's another big thing, of course. I've, we've talked about it the past five years here on the Doggy Juice Pod, but most books, unfortunately, are, are limiting U.S. customers when they don't need to be. And it's I really do think that the books out there that are um, taking bigger bets and um, you know moving their lines accordingly, using that information from sharp bettors, um, are going to win in the long run in this business because it's a lot better to take a lot more handle and a little bit lower of a whole percentage and take multiple bets than it is to take a lot less in, in betting action, especially in the long term, uh, with a higher hold percentage. So big picture thinking is going to prevail, I think, moving forward. And I'll be rooting for you know for operators here in the U.S. that are um, not shying away from booking bets because I think it's good for everybody, especially you know, keeping the money in a legal regulated market so it's you oversee it for the integrity of the game. It's just good for all stakeholders. I mean, you bring in more revenue um, as a result as well. So finally, where are we going? In, as an industry, I mean, that's going to be the really interesting thing in the next five years just to see how we shift. But I firmly believe that new innovative tech and niche brands are uh, going to be what comes out of the next five years, even the next couple years. And you've seen that shift start to happen already. Um, I was at the SBC North America Summit in New York last week, and a lot of these tech brands were the talk of of the conference. I mean, besides responsible gaming and, and problem gambling, you know, these innovative tech brands that, that, that change the entire way we interact as betters and actually get down and, and bet as betters. That's, that's the exciting part. And, and a lot of that is of course woven in with technological, technological advances too. And, um, you know, like using AI to personalize the betting experience and web three, a lot of personalization, um, which is really interesting, peer-to-peer betting. A lot of this is very much gray area, uh, but just finding unique ways to bet. And the best example of this is you're seeing the betting exchanges in New Jersey, um, sport trade and and profit exchange. Um, Their issue is, of course, the Wire Act um, prevents them from from pooling all of their, you know, multiple states together. They're only restricted within, you know, New Jersey, the actual state of New Jersey. So it's hard to get liquidity, but they're very early on the betting exchanges. And, and those are, of course, lower margins, and you're going to get the best odds as a better betting at those exchanges. So I would love to see those um, continue to to grow and, and become a thing here in the U.S. market. Secondary ticket markets like WagerWire and PropSwap, and that's another uh, exciting uh way of thinking outside the box to improve the user experience. 
a lot of exciting young brands, usually with younger people leading the way. I think that's where we're going um, as an industry. And this is actually where I found myself focused career-wise over the past year or so since I resigned to play up, uh, working with some of these exciting startups who are going to shake up the very way that we're, we're betting. A lot of this um, is you know the legal regulatory gray area. So it's exciting work, but also very challenging. But I'm very, very confident that uh, that's the direction we're heading. So I choose to look at things optimistically moving forward. There's still a lot of crap out in the industry. Everyone wants to be a part of it. But I think longevity and taking a look at, at customer longevity and longevity of the industry is going to be the focus of the next few years. Some you know, some companies are looking at profitability, but I think that they have to take a big picture here. You know, it's, you don't want to just please a stakeholder or shareholders early on at the expense of the future. So I'm really hopeful that, and I'm bullish on, on some of these innovative young tech companies, niche brands shaking things up and um, you know, on the B2B side and on the B2C side uh, to just improve the overall, overall experience, ex- improve latency issues that we have as betters. There's just a lot on the tech side that I think is going to just overall improve our, our experience at the end of the day. And and a focus on responsible gaming and problem gambling because we're all part of this industry. We want to see it succeed in the long run, and and uh, I'm hopeful that that education and uh, and cooler heads are going to prevail um, here over the next couple of years. So it's going to be fun to watch, and it's just going to be really fun to see where we're at five years from now. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Doggy Juice Podcast. As always, follow the pod on Twitter and Instagram at Doggy Juice. And again, if you're interested in hearing more content on where we've been and where we're going as an industry five years post-PASPA, I had the pleasure of going on two different shows over the past week to discuss the PASPA five-year anniversary, the Props and Hops podcast with Matt Landis and on the WagerWire Twitter spaces. So follow them on, on Twitter at Props and Hops Pod, at MLandis18, and at WagerWire. And if you enjoyed listening to this episode and this podcast in general, just all I ask is please just take 5, 10, 15 seconds to leave a quick rating of the Doggy Juice Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review if you can. I love reading the reviews. If you leave those, I would very much appreciate it. But anything you could help do to spread the word on state-by-state sports betting legalization, how to become a sharper sports better, anything you could do during these exciting times in the industry five years in. Wow. Uh, It's very much appreciated. I'll be back soon with another episode as I look to put more evergreen content out here. And I'll I'll talk to you all soon. Good luck on your action this week. Enjoy the games. Happy Passiversary, everyone. Doggy Juice out.